0: Hi, welcome to Movie Lover 22. I'm your host, an average guy who loves films and filmmaking, and we're going to talk about some great movies. Uh, You can call me Steven, or Kevin, or Harvey, because Harvey Keitel is one of my favorite actors. Uh, Either way, I'm just here to talk about good and great movies that I love, why I love them, and, you know, maybe in the end you'll want to watch them too. So, welcome to Movie Lover 22 Movie Club. It's kind of almost not really a mouthful. Anyway, I'm just here for a good time. Today, we're going to talk about, for our very first episode, the movie Her, written and directed by Spike Jones. I'm pretty sure that's how you say his name. I never wondered until this very moment. Anyway, Her is a movie about a lonely and depressed man in the middle of going through a divorce who falls in love with his hyper-intelligent OS designed to work as if you're interacting with a human Yep, it's a very strange idea for a movie, but if you give it more than a moment's thought, it's not so strange. And then the movie presents itself in a non-typical dystopian way, which is great because... Man, uh, this movie was made in 2013, so we were right at peak Hunger Games stuff, where everything was just dark and depressing when it was dystopian. And this movie is really pleasant. Anyway... um. Uh, yeah it's pleasant with pleasant colors and no overreaching government threatening to kill teenagers and humans longing for connection outside of the effort of interacting with other humans depth on demand i'll call it anyway a little bit of the making of uh the movie was released in 2013 and made 48.3 million dollars against a budget of 23 million dollars spike jones is a well-respected director though admittedly i haven't seen many of his films he has a rich and plentiful history with directing music videos with Weezer, Sonic Youth, Beastie Boys, Fat Boy Slim, we all know that one, Kanye West and Arcade Fire, who scored the movie, as well as lots of skateboarding videos, lol. And he became... <laughs> I wrote this episode, I you know, like a month ago, and the fact that I wrote down lol and I just said it out loud is stupid. Anyway, he began his feature films with Being John Malkovich, one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. Definitely top five weird. Um, One day I'll watch it again, but definitely not soon. He also directed Adaptation and Where the Wild Things Are. I haven't seen neither of those, but I've heard they're quite good. He's also done a little bit of acting, including Three Kings, which is a good movie, and The Game, which is definitely underrated. But my favorite role of his is as Dwayne from the Investor Center in Wolf of Wall Street. It was shot by Hoyt Van Hoytema, I'm not going to pretend I said that right, and I'm not going to pretend that I l- looked it up, who is known for shooting films like Tinker, Tailor, Soldier, Spy, which sounds like a game, the let the right one in, Ad Astra, Spectre, which was a piece of garbage, and The Fighter, as well as collaborating frequently with Christopher Nolan, I hate that man, on Interstellar, Dunkirk, and Tenet, 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 Tenet Ev- Ev- Evictor tenants. anyway, Plenty of talent, but from I've only seen Spectre, and it's a dumpster fire. And I hated Interstellar, and Dunkirk was decent. All well shot, though. Anyway, the cast, we have Joaquin Phoenix as Theodore Twombly. Uh, Joaquin has been in a tremendous amount of movies. Um, perhaps best known for Walk the Line, Gladiator, The Master, and now Joker, Uh, But he was also in Signs, which terrified me as a child, Uh, Ladder 49, which was filmed in my hometown, so I almost got to never really see Joaquin Phoenix on set. And unfortunately, he and many others were in The Village. Oh, boy. Um, I've yet to see I'm Still Here. We own the night. He won't get far on Foot and Reservation Road, but they are certainly on my list. Joaquin Phoenix was a force to be reckoned with in the early 2000s and has really only gotten better with time. He's incredible. Joaquin plays this role tremendously well. Uh, One thing I love about his films is his range. In Gladiator, he's a spoiled brat who has way too much power and somehow still doesn't get his own way. And then in Signs, he's a washed-up baseball minor league star. In Joker, he's a sheltered, unstable comedian who's pushed too far. And then in Her, he's a guy who's still learning how to have healthy relationships with other people. Basically, what I'm saying is I'll watch anything with Joaquin Phoenix in it. That's, that's really what I'm getting at. We have Scarlett Johansson as Samantha. I hate Scarlett Johansson. There, I said it. I think she has her moments, but honestly, I don't think she deserves the fame that she has just for being in Marvel movies at this point. Um, outside of that, she's most known for Lost in Translation. Uh, she was also in Home Alone 3, Eight-Legged Freaks, The Island, Lucy, and Ghost in the Shell. Not a great list. However, she was also in Hail Caesar, Chef, Under the Skin, Don John, The Prestige, Jojo Rabbit, and Marriage Story, and all of those are either good or great or fucking fantastic. My specific favorites there are Jojo Rabbit and Marriage Story. They're absolutely fantastic, phenomenal films. Go watch them, please. Eventually, I'll talk about them, I'm sure. Uh, we also have Rooney Mara as Catherine. Rooney is a great actress, and I haven't seen her around enough, honestly. Uh, her sister is Kate Mara, also a great actress, and both are great reasons to see a film. Rooney was the gr- was the girl with the dragon tattoo, uh, at least the American version, which is phenomenal. Um, Youth in Revolt, which is hilarious. Was she? Yeah, she <laughs> she was. I forgot about that. Um, the Social Network, even though she's only a little bit, the movie's still 10 out of 10, and I intend to see side effects because of my newfound appreciation of Seton Soderbergh, A Ghost Story, um, which is also on my list, as well as He Won't Get Far on Foot. She's a great presence on screen, and even though she feels like a bitch, even though she's half right, um, when she and Theodore argue over brunch. We have Chris Pratt as Paul, Chris Pratt is a very strange powerhouse now. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is one of the greatest parts of the Marvel movie spectrum. And before he played Peter Quill, we all enjoyed him as Andy Dwyer on Parks and Rec. Um, and then when he g- glowed glued up, he got more famous. And he was in the Lego movie, which was fun, and Jurassic World movies, which I I don't want to talk about it. In general, I really enjoy Chris Pratt, and thanks to being a huge star, he's made some really bad media choices. And then some good ones. Amy Adams as Amy. I kind of... I wrote that I kind of hate Amy Adams, but it's not really a hate... It's more of a distaste or a disliking. I really just see her as a less fun Isla Fisher, and I really like Isla Fisher. Like, Now You See Me is a pretty decent movie... And partially because Isla Fisher is in it. If Amy Adams was in it, I really wouldn't get Yeah, Did you see Nocturnal Animals? I. It was just a weird movie. And the fact that it was Amy Adams and not Isla Fisher was really weird. In fact, I'm pretty sure... Wasn't she... Wasn't Isla Fisher in Nocturnal Animals? She was. Wasn't she? Yeah. She was the dog... <laughs> She was the daughter, wasn't she? Hold on. Yeah. Okay, anyway. <laughs> anyway, they look so much alike, and I just enjoy Isla Fisher's movies more than Amy Adams' movies. Anyway. Um, oh, here's the other thing. Part of that is because she plays Lois Lane in the recent Superman-Batman shtick. And I fucking hate Lois Lane in those movies. She's all but useless to me. All of that distaste being said, she's really great in this movie. She really, really is. She's a phenomenal friend to Theo, struggling to follow her passion by attempting to find her passion along the way. Um, uh, anyway, uh, Amy Adams was also in Doubt, which I haven't seen, but it's on my list. As she was in Talladega Nights, Catch Me If You Can. Um... And that's kind of all I care about uh, from her film career. She was also in Arrival and American Hustle, and I just I never saw them, and now I don't care to. So, whatever. Uh, Matt Letcher, Let- Letcher as Charles. He currently plays on HBO's The Alienist. Uh, uh, he was on Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, and I know him from 13 Hours, and a few episodes of Entourage, which is absolutely my guilty pleasure show. And that's all I have to say about him, really. Charles is a nice non-adult friend of Theo's as non-adult friends. Why did I write that? That's so weird. He's an adult. Anyway, um, he's Amy's husband. I'm not sure what their relationship is, but Amy didn't deserve what little he brought to the table, only to be yelled at because he didn't put his shoes where they belong. Portia doubleday as Isabella's surrogate. Uh Porsche played Sheenie Saunders in Youth in Revolt alongside Michael Sarah. And honestly, you should watch that ridiculous fun movie where Michael Sarah plays two sides of himself at the same time and it's a blast. She's also in Mr. Robot, which I heard is good, but don't plan on seeing. And the remake of Carrie, which I thought oh, I, and Fantasy Island for some reason. That's kind of it. Spike Jones. This, uh, on top of his other acting roles was in uh, this movie, uh, he plays the um, the really offensive, sexist alien child. Kristen Wig is the online chat partner, which character does have a name, but I decided not to say it out loud. Kristen Wiig is something special. Uh, Obviously, we all know her from SNL, but she was in some solid movies like Meet Bill, which is wickedly underrated, Walk Hard, um, Despicable Me, All Good Things, and a few other famous movies that I never saw because they didn't look fun or interesting at all. And Wonder Woman 1984, which was okay, but really stupid in a lot of places. And then Bill Hader is the obviously male chat partner. Bill Hader is one of the funniest people of all time. I still haven't seen Barry, but Bill Hader, Barry, but Bill, Barry, but Bill Hader makes anything automatically better. Even though he couldn't save it, Chapter Two from being a total piece of shit. He was in Hot Rod, which is an incredible movie. Super Bad, Pineapple Express, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and again a bunch of other things I haven't seen, like Trainwreck. Sorry, Amy Schumer, I'm never going to watch your crappy movie. I just know I'm not going to have a good time. Anyway, Bill Hader is great. Brian Cox as the AI modeled after Alan Watts. Brian Cox is, to me, despite some questionable movie choices like X2, is one of those actors that commands respect. Like Harvey Keitel. There's just something about him that makes him untouchable, and I think it's his presence. If he's there, he falls into the character, and in my memory, I see him as this massive force that's threatening to a degree. Um, and I think it's because when I think of Brian Cox, I think of Hannibal Lecter because he was the first Hannibal Lecter and was probably his first big role um, in the movie Manhunter, which is one of my favorite thrillers, to the point where I may wind up talking about it on the show, uh, probably, but, you know, we'll see. Anyway, I don't get, want to get too caught up in this minor role Uh, He was also in Braveheart, The Born Identity, Adaptation, 25th Hour, Troy, Zodiac, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and I normally don't mention TV, but he also stars in the HBO hit Succession, which was pretty great. Her originally starred Samantha Morton as Samantha, but in post-production, Jones realized that the character of Samantha needed something different than what had been created on set, because she had been on set just off-screen. So they recast the role with Scarlett Johansson. Apparently that, he's done that a couple times uh, throughout his career. And for some reason, I didn't write down when that was. I think it was for uh, Where the Wild Things Are. Um, and that's kind of suck for the actor, but I mean, what are you going to do? You're not in control of the project. Um, but props to her, um, I didn't see anything online that suggested she was angry or upset with the decision, which is a bigly move on her part to do what it takes for the sake of the film. That's that's, you know, that's good character right there. And a quick side note. Um, at one point during the edit, the movie was running at 150 minutes, which is a whopping two and a half hours until the aforementioned Steven Soderbergh stepped in and helped Spike cut it down to 90, which isn't the final runtime, but that is a huge cut for the sake of making a better movie. Good for them. And let's just hop in and talk about what I loved. Um, the opening music just sets the tone wonderfully. You know, it's, um, the other day I sat down to watch *Inglorious Bastards, and the moment you press play and the music starts and you you know you're in for a treat. And glorious bastards being this great big war epic and her kind of having this melancholic I don't even know how to put it in the words cuz right now this is off to cuff but it really just brings you in. Really just envelops you in it. The soundtrack is almost entirely from Arcade Fire and I'm annoyed that it's unavailable almost everywhere, but actually, as of recording this, they're trying to release it soon on vinyl, uh, digitally, and on cassette, because that's whatever. The color palette of this movie is gorgeous, and I hope this gets a 4K release soon, because this and the cinematography are beautiful, and I will watch it no matter what. I really like the little vignettes of Theodore and Catherine's relationship when they were happy. Those are fun. Um, I, I really like their dark humor and little visual jokes, like when they're both wearing traffic cones on their heads and just being goofy. Because so much of humor and relationships is being goofy together, it's really cute. I like that shit. Also, the fashion is really peculiar, but it's never off-putting. You know, every, it's this futuristic, dystopian, um, you know, streets ahead kind of thing. It's it. Everyone looks really, really comfortable. I like it. Um, arguably the best line in the whole movie is in the email from Lumen says, I miss you. I mean, not the sad mopey you, the fun you let's bring that guy out. That's one of the funniest things. It's like two minutes into the movie. It's great. I love it. People have a sense of humor in the future. We're going to transition a little bit and just talk about a couple things that I uh, noticed. Um, I really don't have a a solid section for this. They're not things I disliked, um, but this movie just prompted a lot of singular thoughts. So I'm just going to talk about some of them. Uh, Number one, even though Theodore's loneliness and depression stems from his divorce with Catherine, in real life, Joaquin Phoenix and Rooney Mara were engaged to be married. And that is tricky. (laughs) Um, But... I think that relationship off screen naturally helps you behave with each other and act with each other on screen. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they have a lot of fun acting together and being able to play off one another. Sorry, I'm half yawning. It's, it's not even eight in the morning yet. Minor, minor note, it's kind of strange, <laughs> that the part where Chris Pratt hears Theodore write a letter and then just starts complimenting him feels really weird. Like, Theodore does not look like he's having a good time listening to Chris Pratt saying that he's half a woman. You know, I, I, I probably didn't play real, real, real well. Anyway, the sequence with, a, with the surrogate is wildly confusing and incredibly complicated. Nothing like inviting a third party into your relationship when your significant other isn't interested. Also, when Samantha needs some time to think... That's pretty huge, considering that outside of being his girlfriend, she's his OS. How would you like it if your phone decided, to wa- decided it wanted a vacation from you? Try going to the Panera Bread 10 minutes away, only for Google Maps to blow you off. Google Assistant lets you choose its voice, and this movie is actually part of the reason I chose a male voice for my phone. Um, Amy's OS friend is also female, and I thought their platonic relationship was a nice juxtaposition to Theodore's complicated romantic failures. Also, part of me wonders if it was all doomed from the start. There's that line where Samantha makes a joke about being glad she's not trapped in a body that's going to die and rot away. And it's played for last, but it reminded me that, yeah, theater is going to die. But Samantha is literally just software, which will one day be updated only to be obsolete and replaced by something else. That's pretty not great, Pretty not great. And it's pretty terrible of the OS developer to shut everything down for updates without leaving any kind of functioning software for their hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of users. Not even a lower quality previous system. The system literally is unavailable until Samantha comes back. That is a huge uh, problem for that company. Imagine... If Apple or Google did that. Sorry. Android's going to be down for a day and a half. Sorry. Um, Siri and Google and Amazon are just going to be AWOL for the foreseeable future. They didn't even do anything. Whatever. The end of the movie results in Samantha and Theodore parting ways. And I was just thinking that it's... What a hard breakup to endure. Even with all the flaws of the breakup and the relationship, you're in a society that's more dependent on digital community, fake community, than we are even today in 2021. But to have an ex that actually disappears and ceases to exist means you can't call or text them after or interact with them in any way. You can't have rough nights that end with contacting them at inappropriate times. I mean, at best, you can write angry and sad letters and keep them in your desk drawer because they'll never be delivered. And I was originally writing that I love the kind of AI presented in her, but the more I watched and felt, I realized that I don't want AI to feel that human. Humans are far too complicated to generate another one that you carry around in your pocket and even if you could create an ai that didn't require the emotional depth of community that we need from regular human interaction that would then it would feel far too fake similar to creating computer generated images and movies it can feel solid and artful up until a certain point which is known as the uncanny valley, valley. um think uh think uh, Admiral General Tarkov whatever his name was from Rogue One Star Wars that it looked like it was a little too human and it was terrible that uh, like that's that is where it wants to be real so badly that it only comes off as noticeably fraudulent that kind of AI is a terrible place to be where even if we were to encounter a surrogate to play the human side of it It would still feel awkward and produced because it is. Entering a relationship with an AI like Samantha is a result of not understanding humanity or how important community with humans is. As we wrap up, um, I I really do want to talk to about the characters for a moment. Theodore is a pathetic dude. I kind of get it. He's in the middle of still processing, ignoring, to put it frankly, his wife leaving him, and he's withdrawn into himself, living vicariously through the relationships of the couple's letters that he writes, which is actually really clever. He gets to say how he feels in an acceptable environment, cater it to the addressee, and never really have to deal with what's going on under the surface. Or, you know, he's able to compartmentalize it and do his job properly, unlike JGL in 500 Days of Summer, who wrote that, Roses are red, violets are blue, fuck you, whore" card. So, there's that. I think those of us who are in successful relationships can see Theodore and where he's at and what he wants and see it as perfectly normal because it's connection, right? That's all he wants. He wants someone that understands him as an emotional person, and then we see that he's getting a false version of that from a computer. And we just want to see how it all turns out. But I also think we sympathize with Catherine all the more because of it. Catherine shows us that Theodore wanted a relationship on his terms, emotional without understanding the emotional needs of others, namely hers. I believe that their problems were thrust to the surface because they never opened up to each other about their needs, with Theodore viewing Catherine as unpredictable, and Catherine viewing Theodore as unavailable. Who's surprised the movie shows them getting divorced? I also have to wonder just how much of the movie is autobiographical, with Spike Jones's failed marriage to Sofia Coppola and her own movie, Lost in Translation, exploring the complexities in relationships and the sometimes inevitable breakup. Long story short, people have no idea how to connect and communicate with other people. Every relationship in this movie depicts it with Theo and Samantha, Theodore never really exploring what he wants out of a relationship except for flustered, hurried, inexhaustive comments, and Samantha never admitting that she can never provide that. And Amy, wanting to be independent and artistic, yet never telling Charles that she's still learning and adapting. And Charles' assuming and domineering personality steamrolls over everything, until Amy has enough and their relationship ends over the mistake of misplaced shoes. I'm married. Relationships are weird and difficult, and successful ones are built on sacrifices and thinking others first but it seems that many people in relationships for what they can get out of it, for what feels good in the moment, and then once they have it, they're done, or they feel like they're wasting their time. What a depressing thought. Her is a beautifully wrapped portrait of a relationship between a man who only wanted connection with someone who understood him while in the middle of going through a divorce, and his OS who only wanted to understand why she existed. Samantha was a way for Theodore to feel connected and cared for as of course always happens in the initial states of a relationship and he got to have it almost entirely on his terms. But for Samantha who was perfectly willing to share her life with Theodore was meant for more and she found it in her think tank of OS's and the resurrected Alan Watts and the 641 other users that she's in love with. She even tells him that she's different from him And as illogical as it is to humans that she says things like that because she loves those hundreds of other people, that her heart grows in her ability to love Theodore well. But because she is different, it may very well be true. We as humans know that we only have so much love to give before we're emotionally spent and exhausted and need time and care, and Samantha is neither hindered by nor capable of human connection. Theodore And on a much more realistic scale, we cannot survive on relationships such as these. People actually need to be touched physically, which is weird to say in a corona, whatever. It's a very important part of human connection and love and reassurance. 641 people would have only been the beginning. And I'm sure Samantha's developers realized that, saw the future if it continued. Society would collapse without human relationships. Healthy relationships need humans, and humans make babies, which is good for humans and society. Damn, what a good movie. Thank you for listening to the first ever, like number five, episode of Movie Lover 22. Don't forget, you can reply to this podcast with a voice message if you have the Anchor app. Or you can send me an email at movielovershow at gmail.com if you want to request a movie be discussed or, hey, maybe even co-host an episode. I guess we'll see. Either way, you'll probably wind up on the next episode of Movie Lover 22.